Hello, listeners. Welcome to another bonus episode of the Montague Reporter podcast. In this episode, I talk with Nathan Frontiero about his writing with the Montague Reporter. He started as a stringer with the reporter earlier this year. And if you don't know what that word means, you will find out in the first few minutes of this episode. By the way, if this episode gets you interested in writing for the reporter, you can contact Mike Jackson at editor at montaguereporter.org. Here's the episode, and by the way, I hope you'll forgive the crickets chirping in the background of our interview. Enjoy. Thank you for being here, Nathan. Of course. Um, I'm really excited to uh, get to know you and your work with the Montague Reporter a little bit better, and uh, I'm sure the listeners will be excited about it too. Could you introduce yourself? My name is Nathan Frontiero, and I am a stringer at the Montague Reporter. I started writing in April 2022 after some uh, conversations uh, with the editors that began around uh, March of this year. So you're in your like first six months of writing, which is kind of a new thing. Like I'm not sure that we've had too many guests on the podcast who recently joined the Montague Reporter. So that's really cool. Yeah, I'm uh, new to this paper. I have sort of bits and pieces of journalism experience over the years. I, I worked at my, uh, my college paper, uh, which I went to UMass Amherst, so it was the Massachusetts Daily Collegian, where I was an assistant arts editor and then later the, the arts head section editor. And then after that, several years after graduation, a lot of magazine work. Uh, I was at Take Magazine uh, in a freelance capacity and then just, just little bits and pieces after that, different outlets here and there. So I've tried to keep a heartbeat with journalism, but this has been the most concentrated and uh, the first uh, professional experience in, in, a, uh, in a newspaper after school. Is there like a Montague reporter origin story for how you came to know the paper and came to decide to write for it? Yeah, so I had been following the reporter around specifically coverage of tenants' rights issues, eviction cases, and, and uh, issues of housing rights in general. And a friend of mine from the Daily Collegian, uh, Sarah Robertson, uh, is on that beat consistently. And mm-hmm. I had uh, reached out to her just to, to share uh, some, some praise for some of her work and some gratitude for it. And she let me know that, that the editors were, were generally looking for writers and, and are always uh, open to writers. And so I was excited about that. and, and um, she gave me their uh, contacts, so I, I reached out and got to meet uh, with Nina Rossi, the uh, Features uh, Arts Editor, and, and then uh, got to talk uh, on the phone first and then eventually in person uh, with Mike Jackson, the Managing Editor, and, and started uh, by way of the, the Features Arts uh, section and then have also picked up uh, news uh, features as well. So when we were preparing for this interview, you had written an email to me that you were a stringer for the Montague Reporter, and I like had to Google that because I have never heard of that word mm-hmm. before. But I think it's really cool, um, really cool term. Could you explain that word or term for listeners? Yeah. So as uh, as I've understood it, it's basically a perhaps a slightly more archaic term for a freelancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't dug into the the full uh, etymology of, of where that 
comes out, but it basically is just refers to a writer who's uh, more informally engaged uh, with a publication, you know, writes pieces uh, part of the time uh, for, you know, distinct uh, like rates per piece. So just a, just another term, a slightly more, uh, I think maybe thematic and, and maybe more fun term than freelance. Yeah, I love it. That's definitely going to join my vocabulary now. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it like to work with Mike and Nina? One of the things that you mentioned to me before was that they actually give like guidance and feedback. So could you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. So, you know, every a publication I've found has a, a sort of a house style and, and a, a set of approaches and it's been helpful getting to know uh, this paper and both its sort of stylistic rules as, as well as uh, just sort of guidance around reporting features. So Mike is very good at uh, speaking to structure and angles and kind of inroads and ways to get started with reporting, uh, especially with more complicated stories that have uh, higher political stakes. Uh, mm -hmm. And so there is a sense of a North Star, I think, with him where we're trying to cover something with a level of nuance while understanding always this sort of broader picture that, that might not even fit into the final piece depending on the scope of, of uh, the story as it's developed, uh, but he's really helpful with bringing in context and, and insight. And uh, Nina with, with Features and Arts is, is great at sort of clarifying language and, and and certain logistical things as well. And in my experience, you know, what's been helpful is learning things around process and, mm. and understanding uh, what fits and, and how to maybe prioritize uh, certain stories, especially as we uh, navigate space and scheduling in the paper. Mm -hmm. I've never written for the reporter before, but the experience of having Mike regularly on the podcast just makes me realize how much he knows and how much context he brings to, I guess, his role as managing editor. And it, it definitely seems like that would be like really helpful for new writers. Yeah, I think that, you know, he has a wealth of experience from living in this community and being an active part of this community, you know, within Turner's Falls and, and Montague more broadly and then the surrounding uh, areas of the county. So issues are, are very concrete and uh, the sort of ebbs and flows of this area you know economically or politically he has been really great in, in helping to make clearer and mm -hmm. uh, more salient for different pieces when you're coming at it from the angle of a very particular situation and for a very specific news story mm -hmm. did anything surprise you about writing for the montague reporter either in the process or afterwards. What was a pleasant surprise for me really was the learning curve around news reporting. I think that I had this misunderstanding that there was more of a disconnect from my experience in a lot of culture writing and, and cultural coverage to more straightforward news. And I was relieved that, you know, basically all the same principles connected. I, I don't come from a a journalism background in terms of study. I, I was uh, an English literature major, did creative writing and, and film studies, but I worked at the Collegian uh, in school for my entire uh, time at UMass. So I've kind of understood journalism more in the sense of exercise than, than discipline. And so what was nice was 
getting to connect those dots a little bit more and just understand that the same level of curiosity that I would bring to culture, I you know, just bring to any part of the community that I'm writing about. And it, it wasn't like that there was something I didn't necessarily know. It had more to do with having a grip on the scope and scale of a story and uh, the depth of perspective to accrue. So would you say like A1 News was kind of intimidating to approach at first? I think maybe, because in some of my first conversations with Mike, I was sort of getting ready for a couple of bigger stories that ended up taking a long time to report. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them uh, was about uh, the group to incarcerate Western Mass, and that was a Again, a two-month-long reporting process, you know, for a June publication in the paper. I think right at the beginning of the month. And my concern with that, and then with some of these other news stories, was was being able to get as much of, you know, and as clear and nuanced a representation of the story as possible. And really, a lot of that just came out of bringing curiosity and diligence that I would to any kind of story with one subject, which is typically the case if I were writing an artistic profile or, or even writing criticism, you know, where there's a level of, of depth. So I think that the sort of comfort that maybe I'd offered to either myself in the past, if I could, or, or to someone else new, uh, would just be that sense of kind of good faith, where as long as you're following the curiosity piece and, and willing to dig and think carefully about questions and, and where you're unsure about how to to inquire, to you know work with your editors and, and think about maybe questions you might be missing or, or considerations that you uh, need to emphasize. All of that really um, makes it a lot less intimidating. And, and there's also just a lot of clarity and, and graciousness in the editing process. I think there's a lot of good faith that I've experienced here at the paper. That's good. And hopefully readers extend, you know, that good faith as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, haven't received any angry letters. So. Uh, have you received any feedback? Uh, from readers, I haven't. I don't know if there's a direct way to contact me, which I think maybe I'm okay with for now. Yeah. As, as like a just um, maintaining one's privacy in a small town. That totally but. makes sense, yeah. <laughs> but also readers do write letters to the editor mm -hmm. sometimes in response to stories and sometimes criticize the writing style or reporting style mm -hmm. and things like that. But, yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of thing I think would be interesting. I, I don't know that I've seen anything come in for any of the things that I've written, but mm -hmm. I'd always be curious. You know, it, it means that someone's reading and engaging with it. So mm -hmm. that kind of response, I think, even if it's negative, is sort of a sign of respect. Mm -hmm. And I love that, that people will do that if they have something to say about the paper. It shows a lot of engagement and, and thoughtfulness, especially this being a print publication. It just feels so different than an online comment, you know? Yeah, so. it's very tangible. It's something that Nina said when I was beginning to get involved was sort of about the value of, uh, sort of paraphrasing, uh, of sort of speaking or, or representing a community or depicting a community Kind of back to itself or allowing a community to speak back to itself mm. and I think that there is a great value for that in print in a smaller area in a very specific audience uh, because sometimes I think at least in my experience on, on the cultural side of things with uh, national outlets or, or 
or otherwise online when you're trying to sort of break through just all of the noise covering the same kind of larger artworks. There isn't necessarily that feeling of connection all the time where when I'm writing about something local like a, a show at the Great Falls Discovery Center or you know a theater performance within the county, that feels a little bit more tangible. It feels like there are artists within the community working in the community that can be appreciated by that community. And the news happening in the community is also more, I think, actionable and uh, has more tangible stakes maybe when it's directly communicated to the people that it's about, that it concerns. You know, writing for the Collegian, obviously a college paper is, is different in ways you know, from a, a professional newspaper. The, the stakes are slightly different, but we published, uh, I think, four issues broadsheet when I was there and, and maintained that by the time I graduated. Uh, and then it, over the years, kind of started to dwindle, and, and now that newspaper is online only. So, you know, journalism hasn't been my, sort of, the main way that I've earned my living. I've kind of had to do other things uh, with writing during the day uh, to, to support myself. But as I've tried to keep a heartbeat with it, it was so gratifying to be able to become a part of a community newspaper that really was in its own sort of scrappy way fighting to keep that kind of dream alive of uh, connecting with the community in a really tangible way, in a really careful way, uh, because people are getting this physical issue and they're taking their time with it and they're turning the pages and they're holding it and, and the words that you write sit somewhere mm. and someone can touch them and frame them or tear them up or, or whatever. And uh, all of that is so gratifying to be able to you know, feel that. It's, it's been a, a very tangible part of my feeling of connection to this community, living in Turner's Falls and, and just being a part of this county as, as just a, you know, as a resident. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's very touching. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you could talk about a couple of the most fun or the most memorable articles that you've had published in the Montague Reporter. Yeah, in terms of memorable, certainly with the, the process, I, I would go back to that story about Decarcerate Western Mass, because it's the story with the most depth that, mm -hmm. that I've covered so far. It, it took the longest and it, and it was the most challenging to sort of track down all the different pieces and then try to fit them all together, uh, you know, speaking with members of that particular group and then also, you know, getting a statement uh, from the DA and, and a counter from a defense attorney to sort of balance that perspective with on-the-ground uh, insights within the court system and then uh, even sort of trying to connect with, with people within the broader community. Uh, you know, Massive Bookshop is one example, sort of as a supporter of the group and find out about their perspective on, on these topics in general. And so there's a lot within that story of not just the, the actions that are taken in terms of, in this case, trying to bail people out of jail before they've had a trial so they're not you know, convicted of a crime definitionally and in practice, even though not necessarily by statute, can end up languishing uh, within prison. So there are the practical 
uh, logistical concerns that the group is navigating, but then there's also the the depth of, of feeling and reflection that everyone in that group has. You know, there was a lot of frustration. There was also a lot of beauty. You know, some members of the group uh, maintain correspondence uh, with people on the inside, and and so to try to hold all those things and, and represent them as clearly as possible and, and contextualize them as, as the group sort of was speaking to with different shifting inertias politically within the country and how they kind of trickled down to this region. All of that was pretty difficult and, and so trying to balance it all, sort it all, make it clear is a lot uh, easier when you're working with careful editors that, that know how to shift things around even logistically within a story, you know, what sections need to be moved up so that it makes sense to a reader moving through the different stakes of the topic and they mm -hmm. feel like they can uh, leave with uh, a certain impression that's uh, clearer or even more hopeful than, you know, how uh, a certain kind of order, you know, I remember in my draft that, that things ended in a little bit more dire place just because of the situation of certain facts and, and perspectives. The members of the group were really at an interesting juncture politically where they're trying to keep up momentum. That was, that's sort of, that, that phrasing is in the headline of the piece and it's also in a lot of the sentiment. And I think in the draft, uh, some of the stronger perspectives just about the severity of the carceral system were more landing points. And while I could still include those same perspectives, restructuring the story so that it lands readers with what the group is actually thinking about doing now and what their sort of going forward points are, brings sort of back that feeling of momentum and then also even a tone of hope. And it was nice to be able to have that guiding hand of an editor to help shape that so it could better represent not just the story as I with the care that I wanted to tell it myself but with the the actual sort of momentum and, and intention of the group itself and kind of what they were focused on. Mm -hmm. So that's one article it sounds like you're pretty proud of you worked on for a while. Um, I think so yeah. Were there any other memorable or fun articles you wanted to highlight? Yeah, it was it was great to, to talk with Emerson and Workers United uh, in April. That was sort of a quick turnaround kind of news story that also, you know, connected a cultural element as well, just by nature of the institution. So Yeah, you said you studied film in college, so I'm yeah, sure Emerson so was near and dear to your heart. It it is, you know, and yeah. I and and so it was nice because I've spent a lot of time at that theater and, and it's very important to me and, and it's very important to the people who work there. Mm -hmm. And it was nice to be able to have a conversation about the concerns that they have and their stake in improving that workplace because it all came back for them to the desire to have a stapler, more supportive environment so that they could continue to uh, have an art house in Amherst. You know, because that is just a rarity, a very special thing in this area, and and they have stake in that, and and they care about that, mm -hmm. and that's sort of where it all lands for them. So, uh, it also was important for me to understand some of the uh, sobering realities of of policy changes as they had evolved leading up to the 
uh, desire to unionize on the part of the workers. One example that came out was uh, masking and, and, and other uh, policies being updated. The public update would be the day that, that the staff learned about certain updates. Mm -hmm. And so those kinds of disconnects and, and just learning about the pay scales in place uh, prior to the union drive and uh, were all really eye-opening and, and it helped to make more concrete and just bring home those uh, concerns and, and care that I have about that place and, mm -hmm. and to kind of see that also in in the workers themselves in, in that subject. You know, they care about their workplace being supportive of them, but also just continuing to exist in its best place because of what it is. Mm -hmm. Do you foresee reporting on any other like unionization efforts or um, like the union beat in, in the Connecticut River Valley? It's a subject that interests me and, and it has to be handled very carefully, mm. case by case. Yeah. I, you know, I definitely don't want to presume any kind of playbook with, uh, with that sort of uh, type of reporting. I think that every workplace has unique concerns and every group of workers, you know, every union forming has a unique set of uh, motivations and needs that, that they're trying to meet. So, um, you know, I've noticed a little further flung what's going on at Mass Mocha, you know, seeing the, those workers have a one-day strike on August 19th, trying to get their uh, contract and negotiations rolling more successfully. So th there are things that I kind of keep my eye on. We got scooped by the New York Times on the Trader Joe's union story, so I unfortunately couldn't, Darn it. couldn't take that one. Uh, <laughs> Freaking New York Times. <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, but yeah, it's exciting to see it just unfold across the country. Yeah. General. Do you have any advice for newbies to uh, reporting to the Montague Reporter? Um, and who do you think should consider like contributing or starting to write for the Montague Reporter? I would advise just openness and, and curiosity. I think those are things that maybe any journalist has, maybe any writer has, but they are worth more than you might think uh, compared to the weight of a learning curve that, that seems imposing because I think what's helped me is, is not being afraid to seem foolish in asking questions about things that I don't know because I'm more concerned with learning than I am with seeming like I know everything. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to uh, do a better job at mm -hmm. what I do. Uh, so, you know, Mike has, has certainly been gracious with that and Nina has as well um, with sort of an openness of questions and nothing really being a dumb question. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd say that and, and really in terms of who or, you know, I, I think that anybody who cares about this community within uh, Montague or, or Franklin County and, and these surrounding towns who maybe cares about uh, culture as well, uh, if you're going for the feature section, you know, if there are things that you notice that are interesting and fascinating about this place that we live and you want to dig into them and reflect their nuances and in some cases celebrate them. I think all of that is is worthwhile, as well as kind of digging deep and, and interrogating certain things. And, you know, I think maybe sometimes in, in smaller areas, uh, certain things maybe can be obfuscated, or, or maybe that's just sort of the illusion that happens when local outlets do start to dwindle. But we have one here, and I've heard this uh, phrase before, I think on the podcast, and I enjoy it, but 
uh, the Montague Reporter does punch above its weight. Mm. And so I think if, if that's something that excites you, then, you know, come knock on the door. Yeah, I absolutely love that it is an outlet that makes local governance and local government bodies a lot more transparent. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've ever experienced that before, at this level at least, before I started reading The Montague Reporter. You just like read a report on exactly what happened at the select board meeting or a public hearing. about film and you studied film and I was just curious whether you're involved in any local like filmmaking or um, that kind of thing. Oh I mean I would like to. It's sort of one of those things uh, of the set of creative interests that I have it's maybe the last train to get rolling if it does mm, I'd like yeah. to say that it, that it will but I write obviously and, and then I'm also sort of quietly a musician. I play the piano and keyboards and, and release music, and that's sort of a more immediate mode of expression mm. sometimes than writing. But uh, I haven't made any uh, film projects since maybe a one-off thing uh, sometime around the beginning of college. So there are a couple of friends of mine that are a little bit more active in that arena that I'm maybe trying to uh, work with. Yeah. It, it, it would be fun to work with, um, but it also would be good to just kind of give myself a, a little bit of a kick and and try to write something just to write it and and then to maybe try to shoot it and then you know I was finally able to uh, publish my first uh, professional newspaper film review August 25th August 25th yes um, the worst person in the world worst person in the world I loved yeah. reading that because that is a movie that I wanted to see on the big screen like when it came out in the theater yeah. and it's just like, oh, I never made it there to see it. And I was like, oh, it looks so good. And then I read your review and I have Hulu. <laughs> I don't know if I should be guilty about having Hulu. But anyway, I looked it up after reading your review. And now I'm like really going to watch it this weekend. Yeah, so. thank you. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to, to write about something on the, the home media side of the release cycle sometimes. Mm -hmm. Because uh, especially with independent stuff you know this is a, a movie out of Norway uh, distributed by Neon who does a lot of uh, sort of foreign import stuff within the states and it reaches a, a relatively small audience I think in the theatrical slate uh, you know it goes to the major cities and and comes out here very briefly thanks to Amherst Cinema but it's nice when something is streaming that more people will get a chance to see it yeah and so um, yeah highly recommend uh, that movie. It's its really a wonderful, stylistically fresh romantic comedy and, and kind of bracingly uh, contemporary in, in its uh, levels of millennial dread, I would, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. There are certain movies where they start to feel, you know, new, new favorites for me. I almost feel like you're breaking in a sweater that's going to be one of your favorite sweaters. And it's hmm. sort of just like, it was charming at first and exciting and it, you felt like it, it, it fit right and it was comfortable, but then you kind of continue to go revisit it and you really start to feel uh, 
the way you fit in its contours and, mm. and that is kind of comforting wow that's a really cool description of a of watching a movie multiple times <laughs> i like it thank you nathan frontiero thank you so much for being here thank you for having me